LA annoys me because everybody thinks they're in show business, like everybody in some way or another. I went to the gas station yesterday, and the gas station attendant told me that he was a former porno movie star. And I think he was serious because halfway through filling the tank, he pulled it out and sprayed it all over the car. Welcome to the Geek Generation. I'm your host, Rob Logan, and I am so excited to be bringing you this week's episode. During his recent trip to Boston, I was fortunate enough to get some time with comedian Greg Fitzsimmons. I'm not going to lie, I was a little nervous for this one. I think you guys will probably pick up on that during the episode. I've been looking up to Greg for a long time. He is an amazing comedian. Uh, He's really a master of his craft. If you've never been to a Greg Fitzsimmons stand-up show... I can't recommend it enough. During this episode, we talk about comedy. We talk about podcasting. We talk about all the things that Greg has done during his career. And you'll see just how good this guy is when I can give him one word topics and he will, without missing a beat, just riff on anything and make it so, so funny. It's really a testament to how fantastic he is as a comedian. So again, if you've never been to a Fitzsimmons stand-up show, you can check his stand-up dates at fitzdog.com. That's F-I-T-Z-D-O-G.com. You can follow Greg at Greg Fitz Show on Twitter. And if you've never heard the Fitzdog Radio podcast, I say it during the episode, I have not missed an episode of Fitzdog Radio. It's an amazing podcast. Greg has on comedians, celebrities. Uh, he even said he's going to be branching out into other aspects of entertainment, getting even more people on the show. And I'm really looking forward to that. So check that out on iTunes. And again, you can get those links at fitsdog.com. You can even, if you want to check out a particular episode, uh, Greg was also in Boston to do a live podcast from Boston. And he had on Mike McDonald and Tony V. Those guys were also really funny during the show. Um, and you can even hear me chime in here and there during the episode. I shared an overheard around the end of the episode. But that episode is called Live Podcast from Boston. Very self-explanatory. Go check that out on Fitzdog Radio. Also, I really want to thank Laugh Boston for allowing us a space to record the episode. Uh, if you're not familiar with Laugh Boston, it is a new Boston comedy club that just opened a few months ago. You can go check out laughboston.com to see everybody that they have coming in there. Also, before we get into today's episode, really quickly, guys, uh, the holidays are upon us. Everyone's doing their holiday shopping. It is so much easier to do your holiday shopping online, and it saves me a ridiculous amount of time. I don't have to deal with the crazy mobs at the stores. I don't have to deal with the crazy traffic, and I do all of my shopping on Amazon, and if you have Amazon Prime, then you can get your stuff really quick. Even though the holidays are very, very soon, you can get that stuff in two days with Amazon Prime. It's an amazing service, but if you're going to shop on Amazon, do us a favor and go to thegeekgeneration.com slash Amazon. When you do that, and then you do your holiday shopping, or any shopping for that matter, a little bit of everything you buy gets tossed our way. It's no extra money on you. It's just a way for you to support the show while you're doing the shopping that you normally would. And if you guys do that, 
I really, really appreciate it. Here's something you could get on Amazon for the person who's hard to shop for on your list. Do they like to laugh? One thing I can't recommend enough is Greg Fitzsimmons, Life on Stage. Greg Fitzsimmons just did a one-hour special for Comedy Central, and you can get Life on Stage on Amazon. Uh, it's a CD-DVD combo. It's great. Greg gave me a copy of it. It's awesome. So check it out. Go to thegeekgeneration.com slash Amazon. Go ahead and get yourself Greg Fitzsimmons' Life on Stage, among all the other things that you're planning on getting. So without further ado, guys, Greg Fitzsimmons. I got a, I got a bunch of shit my wife is hounding me to do. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we're going on vacation. Are we recording? Yeah. We can talk about it. Okay. Um, hey. Hey. <laughs> yeah, my wife is, we're going on vacation for Christmas. And uh, my wife, on people go like, it must be so great when you're on the road. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you just sleep late, do whatever. It's like, no, I got, I got kids at home. When I'm on the road, I get up, I'm on the computer, I'm getting weeding my emails, making travel plans, dealing with my accountant. Uh, I masturbate. And then, uh, and so they, it's, it's really like, it's like an office. My hotel room is like an office. Yeah. 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 I was, I was actually going to ask what a weekend for you looks like. I've heard a lot of comics say that they have a lot of downtime. Others are the same answer of super busy with all the maintenance stuff and things like that. Well, also when I'm on the road, um, I write a lot. So I tape all my sets and I listen to every single set. Do you really? Yeah, every set. Wow. So, you know, a lot of times uh, I, I take a bath mm-hmm. and I'll listen to a show while I'm in the bath with a no- notebook next to the bath. Interesting. Taking notes or I'll work out and I'll listen to the set and uh, jot down notes as I'm doing it. And then, um, you know, just catch up on some phone calls. No, it doesn't stop. I feel busier on the road than I do at home. Wow. Because then when I'm home, I want to be with my kids. I want to just hang. Right, right. Do some one-on-one with my son, take my daughter to the driving range, play Rummy Cube, watch a movie. You know, I want to be free because I'm gone two or three days a week, like every other week. Sure. So you try to make up. And you know what? I can curse, right? Oh, absolutely. People are like, what the... People are like, uh, oh, you... uh, I haven't cursed yet, so I don't know why I asked. <laughs> Fuck. And uh, people are like, uh, oh, it must be so so hard. You know, you're away from your kids so much, almost like I'm a bad father. And it's like, I spend way more hours with my kids than other fathers do. And my kids are used, I sound defensive. And my <laughs> kids are used to me being away a certain amount. So it's all, it's whatever your kids are used to. Yeah. And you have two kids, right? I have, t- <laughs> yeah, 13 year old boy and a 10 year old girl. Two that you're aware of? Or? Yeah, as far as I know, I no, I've been pretty lucky with that. Nobody's approached me. Oh, okay. I haven't had that that phone call or that knock on the door. Oh, nice. <laughs> well, I just I I tell the uh, the guards at my gated community not to let black women in, so that cuts out oh, okay. the probability yeah. of that happening. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> you said this on the podcast the other night of uh, you're thankful that your wife has never listened to your podcast. Right now, is that a fear with your kids getting older? I can't think about that. No. No, uh, and it's sick because it's not like my shit is not going to be available forever to anybody for free. Right. But somehow, like, I had to at a certain point separate my personal life from my professional life mm-hmm. with some caveats. I mean, I don't. I like just now when we started talking about my kids, I was like, okay, that's about enough. Sure. I don't. I don't talk about them very Completely much. Completely understandable. Yeah. Um. And but at the same time, I will talk about like did I masturbate or or whatever. So I just. I just believe that the way I'm raising my kids is honest and that they respect what I do for a living and that it involves me being honest Mm -hmm. and that they're just going to have to be um, not ashamed of 
people talking about sexual things mm-hmm. or kidding about race or whatever. You have to you have to understand that not just with me being a comedian, but I think just in life in general, that you can shelter your kids to the point of making them naive and actually forcing a liberalism on them from the in the absence of taking on topics. Okay. So I would hope that with my kids they'll be worldly enough to uh handle whatever. And my book is really going to be tough because it's it's very personal and it's about childhood abuse, you know, my father being an alcoholic and mm-hmm. getting beat and and all this stuff that they're not aware of and um stuff about, you know, s- sex and drugs at a young age and being arrested a bunch of times and you know, there's stuff in there that is um really really starting to grapple with what age they're going to be able to read it. I'm hoping 18, but that seems yeah, yeah. that seems unreasonable. You're referring to Dear Mrs. Fitzsimmons? Right. Yeah, okay. Just want to make sure we get that out there, too. Right, <laughs> right. Except if my kids are listening, then I never wrote a book. <laughs> well, if they're not listening to your show, I doubt they would listen to mine. <laughs> yeah, tell me about your show. Uh, we normally talk about... Well, I mean... Who's we? I usually have co-hosts with me. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk about TV and movies and things like that. And even though we're called the geek generation, we have the belief that a geek is not about what you like, but the way that you like it. So that if you sense. have like that just consumer mentality, you will get obsessed with a certain thing. Mm. So people can be comedy geeks, sports geeks, right. whatever it is. But I just started doing stand up this summer. So as I've been getting into the Boston comedy community, I've been having more and more comics on the show now. Right. A lot of good comics locally. Oh, I know. Oh, There's some Jesus. great ones. Yeah, I mean, uh, Dan Crone is doing a killer job this week, and um, you know, I'm a big fan of Lamont Price. I've I've had him open for me a couple yep, times, yep. and um, Mike Kaplan's very good. Steve McCone's very good. Um, you know, it's really it's really good to see the scene coming back a little bit. Cause I can't he, believe I wasn't aware of Mike McDonald, who you had on the other night. He was fantastic. You got to see his stand up. He is so funny. His stand up is really good. Yeah. Real craftsman, great timing. And then obviously Tony V. I mean, I'm only talking about the young comics. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, I could go on all day about, uh, you know, Tony V and Sweeney and Gavin and Rogerson and Donovan and Seisler. I mean, there's some of the best comics that I've ever seen are still working in this town. Mm. Yeah, and the young scene is there's a lot of great people, and I know a few that are doing it professionally now, which it seems like that's such a glass ceiling to break through is getting from that, okay, we're just getting started, to now it's a paid gig. And, right. And it seems like it's so flooded that very few are going to rise up through that. Yeah, but you will. The, the thing is about comedy is it's, it's a meritocracy. It's, you know, sure there's guys that are you know, better politicians and, and, uh, and that their comedy is more accessible so that they, you know, they're going to move along a little faster sure, at the beginning. Sure. That doesn't mean shit. I started out with a group of guys and if I had to tell you who I thought was going to be commercially successful later, mm-hmm. I probably would have been wrong on 90% of them. You know, the guys that came out strong out of the gate wasn't always because they had uh, the work ethic or that they had the vision um, a lot of times they were just uh, they were just good starters, and I think that if you're uh, if you have, and I don't know what talent it is as a comedian. I think that um, what translates into a career to me is a conviction that you have something to say, mm-hmm. set a ball so that you keep doing it in the in the face of being rejected so many times, and uh, 
and a certain intelligence. Mm. So, and that intelligence involves what not to do as much as what to do, you know, about not being a hack. We were just talking about Bobby Collins and like to have done comedy that many years and still be doing hacky shit. It's just like, you know, it's unbelievable. Mm. And I, anyway, but (laughs) I, but I think that you will, you will get noticed and you will work if you're doing all those things. Do you feel that podcasting has kind of changed the landscape of comedy? Because I mean, you have a huge following on your show, uh, Fitzdog Radio, for anyone that hasn't heard it. But has that translated to more audience members for you and a more loyal following and those type of things? Yeah, definitely. But you got to remember, I've been doing it for four and a half years, twice a week. Sure. So it's not something that you can launch and expect to see, um, you know, a big. But it's if it's something that you do because. Um, I think like most comedians, you want to get your shit out. You want to talk. You right, want to communicate. Right. You get a burning desire to say, oh, there's all these things I want to put out. And so if the podcast is coming from that place, um, and I and you don't necessarily have to have like a defined, you know, brand of what your podcast is going to be. You know, I think you you seem to have a nice hook with the geek. We have uh, our little niche. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but ultimately, it's about the, the the it's the substance of what you're doing, and and people ultimately want. God, I I mean, I have had the nicest people, podcast listeners come through this week. Just people that guy pulled me aside for like ten minutes last night, and he was like, "I got to tell you, like you and Rogan, like your podcasts have changed my life." He's like, "I work, I listen to your podcast every day, and it's given me inspiration to like quit drinking and to you know follow my passion. I keep a journal now, and like people just are." deeply touched by the intimacy yeah. of, and it's an ongoing relationship. It's not a, an appearance on Letterman that, well, it's like, you know, week in and week out, spending a couple hours with somebody who's sharing their philosophies and thoughts on life. And um, it's really rewarding to see those people uh, talk to me after a show. One guy gave me a TV guide mm-hmm. from the week I was born. Whoa. His parents have collected TV guides over the years. And it was in a laminated sleeve. Yeah. And I spent today, I looked at it for like an hour today. It was so fascinating to see the shows that were in prime time when I was born. And there was an article about Dean Martin that was fascinating. I mean, real like good look into Dean Martin. So anyway, it was just like, wow, what a thoughtful, unique gift to get. And I get shit like that all the time. I had a guy handcraft a shillelagh for me with my name carved in it and sent it to me. I had a guy send me a a fucking, um, what do you call those swords, those small swords? A machete. Oh, wow. guy sent me like a really expensive machete. I get crazy shit. And I have it all sent to my manager's office. Sure, (laughs) that's a wise decision. Right, right. Wow. It is a more intimate relationship. I mean, I I don't have a lot of guests on in general. And I ask you specifically because I am a fan. And I have, I've listened to legitimately every episode of the show. Wow. Um, And I've been following you for a long time, actually, because when I started getting into comedy, like even before I made the decision that I wanted to do it, I was always interested in it, and I remember your Comedy Central presents. Probably your first one right. was one of the first like things that I saw and was like, "Oh, that's that's wow. great!" And I latched right on. Oh, it. that's really cool. Um, but it it does create that interesting relationship. Like I've met uh, Pete Holmes, and I met Chris Hardwick, and I'm I love their shows. And there is that weird, almost one sided relationship. Like you don't know mm-hmm. who I am, but I feel like I know so much about right. you. Right. That I mean, do you have? people that come up and bring up stuff about you and you forget that you kind of put it out there. Absolutely. 
all the time. And then I did a podcast recently. Well, if you listen, you probably heard it. I had a, I had a, a relative die recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little, a little nine-year-old boy who was uh, a very special kid. And I did the podcast. And at the end of it, I kind of broke down a little bit and cried. Mm-hmm. And I swear to God, I can't tell you how many people have come up after shows since then saying, like, I started crying too, and thanks for sharing that. That I was really, up. I'll admit it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I think that's the thing about this relationship is I feel like even though it's one-sided, I I feel a safety mm-hmm. in opening up. And uh, and that I didn't always have that, but the longer I do it and the more I have people come up to me after shows saying that they're connected to it and affected by it, the more I feel like, comfortable doing it and almost a duty to just be whatever I'm feeling to just be that. And you do a couple shows too, or not a couple, you've done many where it's just you right. speaking to the audience. I did one of those before. Yeah. It was the hardest thing in the world. I mean, what do you, what can you put in your brain to kind of say, okay, I'm talking to these people and what I say, that's just it. I'm not going back. And A lot of caffeine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, do, I have to do those at a certain time of the day. It's sure. got to be like 2.30, you know, three cups of coffee, a lot of pacing. And then I don't overwrite it. I mean, I really just come up with bullet points. I'll come up with like maybe six or seven things like either out of the news or something that happened in my life or something. And then I just feel like, all right, I know that that's going to, I I have some opinions on that. And and then I think it comes out best if I'm really just talking, just mm-hmm. like I'm talking to somebody. And then I have listener stuff, like people send me in their overheards, and yep. some, and I'll read some of those to fatten it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But um, I did, I did one that was an hour and twenty five minutes recently, straight wow. through without stopping. That's unbelievable. It, right? it was just, well, you know what it was was, and I want to do this again. Is I tweeted out doing a podcast in one hour. Send me topics. Yeah, yep. And then one hour later, I hit record, and I went through every single tweet that came in, which was like, I don't know, like 50 tweets came through. Right, And right. I some of them, we I talked for a while on. Some were redundant, so I kind of like just skipped them. And uh, you know, some were, I had like one quick joke on, and that's the one that was an hour and 20 minutes, because I was just like, I didn't even look up. I just was like going through it, and it was such a rush. Yeah. And then that was the one at the end of it that I talked about Lucian dying. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, um, but I like that format of like, you know, send me what you want me to talk about and then uh, just riffing on it. I think maybe I'll do that once a month. It's great. They're awesome episodes. Give me a topic right now. Uh, let's see. How about, uh, I, you talked about this a little bit the other night. No, um, that's no good. Oh, oh man, okay. Give me something I've never talked uh, about. Oh, something you've never talked about? Let's see. How about... The uh, see, I'm not good on the improv. All right, next, <laughs> put me on the next question. <laughs> the uh, the the podcasts now that are uh, out, a lot of them seem to be coming out of L.A. Right, and there's been some people that have said that it's almost becoming like an incestuous right. relationship, and you're seeing the same people pop up out of there. Do you think that's an issue? Do you think that's just kind of well? Again, having done it so long, those were the people that I had first, sure, and then you see sure. that you know the the it's a certain recipe that works on as a podcast guest. It's somebody who is honest that I don't care if they're funny, but they have to be intelligent and they have to have opinions and be honest. Uh, they have to agree to come on, mm-hmm. which means that their schedule allows it and they're you're nice enough to do it. And then if they have any kind of name recognition, that helps a lot too. Okay. So that narrows it down to like 20 people right, in LA. Right. And so that happens. And I think that, 
what I try to do is the people that I've had that I want to continue having because they've been on a lot already, you know, like like Bill Burr or uh, Greg Proops or Dana Gould. Those people, I, I have no problem bringing them back, uh, you know, as much as I can get Rob Corddry, mm-hmm. as much as I can get them back. And then I kind of shy away from the people like like Doug Benson and, uh, you know, Patton and people that have just done so many. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, what I really want to do is I, I, I admire the way Marin is going wider now and going into musicians and chefs and uh, writers. And so I've always had a fair amount of writers but I really, I had a meeting with my producer, and, and um, I'm, he's going to help me sort of just start going out a little okay. bit wider. Cool. I, I don't know why when, when you were talking, I, was, <laughs> I thought of teddy bears as a topic. Teddy bears. Teddy bears. Well, the, the thing about teddy bears is that they were cute. They were the most innocent object known to man. Yeah. You give them to little kids. They hug them. They go to sleep on them. You know, when you go off to college, you can't. You, that's the one thing you take. It's in your hope chest so that one day you give it to your daughter. Yeah. And then about seven years ago, people started fucking them on the internet. <laughs> and now you just can't look a little kid with a teddy bear any longer without yeah. thinking, oh, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> now, see, when I said that, that's an amazing ability you have. And I, I mean, I can't tell what's going on in your head. You come out with that so natural. What's the process that goes through? Do you have a complete direction in mind already as soon as I say teddy bears? Or is it you start going and then the no, little I pieces kind of fill fur- in? I started with furries okay. and I work backwards, <laughs> which is how I write. I always write the punchline first and then okay. I come up with the joke. Like I had this joke a long time ago and it took me probably a year to get it to work. But I knew that there was a joke with the punchline of, uh, well, I'll just tell you the joke and and you'll know that the punchline was written first, which is... um. Oh, I'm forgetting the name. I've done it for so many different names over the years. I'll just say David Duke because that's okay. an easy one. Sure. So David Duke was uh, was he was having a bake sale to raise money for the Republicans last year, mm-hmm. and uh, somebody went up to him and they said, uh, "How are these cookies?" And he goes, uh, "Well, you know, I think they're great. I baked them myself." But then again, I'm prejudiced. <laughs> so like the idea that the punchline of then again, right. I'm prejudiced. Right. And, and, that's, and that's not that I can't remember the best version <laughs> of the joke that I ended up on. But a lot of times I, if, if I have a joke that really has a punchline, it always March starts shot, with- Mark Shot, maybe, I don't know. It, it, Mark <laughs> Shot was the first oh, was it? version of that joke. Oh, okay. That's how old this joke is. Wow. That was relevant at the time. Okay. And then whatever Republican was cycling through at that time as the- as the racist, yeah. I would do that joke for. <laughs> That's awesome. And when I thought of Marge Shaw, I was thinking about Howard Stern and uh, your relationship there. Right. And I'm a huge Stern fan as well. Yeah. Um, how did that like kind of all start and you get involved with that? Because you do the radio show Monday nights? Yeah, Monday nights for yep. like six years. Yeah. Um, I was, um, there was this thing called the, the um, HBO Comedy Festival okay. in Aspen every year. And it was a big, it was like the big comedy festival. And one year I went and I won the jury award for the best comedian at the festival. Okay. And Jackie the Joke Man had just left and they were looking for a new sidekick on the show. So that got their attention and they brought me and probably a dozen other comics came through. Some guys sat in once, mm-hmm. you know, during the news. And then some guys they brought in a couple times. And then I brought, I came in a couple times and then they brought me in for a whole week to sit in. And it basically came down to me and Artie Lang. And okay. it was like, everybody was wondering, who's it going to be? It's right. going to be one of them. right. And then rightfully so, already got the job. And he was, uh, you know, incredible. He brought so much to the show. Yeah, I miss hearing him on it all the time. I never could have done that. My life's not fucked up enough. <laughs> and um, he's just such a defined character. But um, 
So once I once that once they went with Artie, Howard said to me, "You got an open door. Anytime you want to come in the show, you just let us know." And I mean, true to his word, I've emailed him for ten years, and I, I a week out, I'm coming. I'm be in New York Tuesday. Can I come on and right. come on in? It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got such an audience that that's fantastic. Now, and it's just it's such a blast to sit across from him. Oh, and I ref. One of my dreams is just to like see the studio. Yeah. Like, I don't even know if I have to be there enough for a show. I just want to see it. Right. But you had the whole on-air controversy with him too about the forward right. to your book. I'm sure you saw that coming a mile away. No, I no? believe oh, me, I really? wouldn't have done it. Really, I wouldn't have done it if I really thought that. I, I mean, it was a. Um, I had written a note, a handwritten note, and um, I wasn't sure. No, what was it? So I, I was in New York, and I gave it to Tim Sabian mm-hmm. to give to Howard. And at the same time, I had written an email to half a dozen people asking them to write blurbs for the back cover okay. of the book. And one of them was Jimmy Kimmel. And so Kimmel didn't reply to me right away, which is very unusual. Jimmy's the kind of guy who, like, he, he, he'll, he'll, he's in the middle of a tape day. He'll get back to you 40 seconds after you send wow. an email. And so he gets back to me, says he was out of the country, and he goes, in caps, don't ask Howard for a forward. I mentioned that I asked Howard. Oh, no. And he goes, he hates that shit. So by the time I read that, I was like, fuck. And Howard had started laying into me about it. And uh, no, I was, I believe me, a lot of people think, oh, that was great, great radio bit, good uh, promotion for the book and all that, but... Um, you know, I'm a stand-up comic, and mm-hmm. I'm the guy shitting on people. I I cannot be the subject of ridicule. Yeah. It just doesn't <laughs> fit with what I do. Sure, sure. So I was put in a very uncomfortable position where I could only fight back so much. And at the same time, I wasn't going to roll over. Mm-hmm. And so I kept saying, well, if you don't want to be on the hook, take yourself off the hook. He kept going, let me off the hook. And I kept going, there's no hook. I asked you to do it. You said yes, thereby putting yourself on the hook. Right, right. So I can't take you off that hook. I won't. Yeah. And that went on and on and on and on. That is the kind of like stance you have to take with him, though. Like the people that do roll over will probably get beaten down more right. in the long run with him. Right. At least that's what I've noticed over time. Yeah. So uh, that no, that was that was regrettable overall, though. Yeah. I didn't enjoy that. <laughs> When you were coming up in comedy, did you was it always stand up or was it just comedy and then you found stand up? Like, did you do improv and I would say some of the other comedy things? as a concept from a very young age. I mean, as a child, reading Peanuts cartoons mm-hmm. and then Mad Magazine and then you know reading every comedy book, whether it was Bill Cosby's book or you know watching the Tonight Show every night. If the word comedy appeared. I didn't care if it was in a book, a graffiti, in a f- movie. Like I, that was my lifeline. Mm. And then as I got older, I was memorizing comedy albums. And in high school, I, I would go to uh, comedy clubs mm-hmm. every weekend. I'd go down to the comedy cellar and the comic strip. And uh, and then senior year of high school, I there was a talent show, and I went up and I did stand up comedy. And then I got to college, and there was a comedy club here in Boston that was next door to my dorm. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's... So I went up went up and did it, and then I started doing it through college, you know, uh, all through college. And then there was an improv troupe that asked me to, to join, so I did that for about a year and a half oh, okay. while I was doing stand-up as well. And I loved the improv. And I think when you ask about, like, being able to riff on topics, mm-hmm. like, a big part of improv is just 
not freaking out, hearing something, letting your mind be free and go with it. And and so I think um, I got a lot out of that as far as crowd work. It helped me with my crowd work. Okay. And I and I really enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed it just as much as stand up. But it got to a point where I graduated and I wasn't making much money in the improv troupe, and I was making a living with stand up. And mm-hmm. I just sort of had to choose one. And then uh, that's all I've ever done for a living. How did that transition into TV writing then? Because you've you've done that. You've been a showrunner at this point. Right. Right. Um, well, I think. My father told me when I was young, like, uh, he supported me doing stand-up, but he said, just write. Just make sure you write. Okay. And it was ve- the best advice I've ever gotten because, um, you know, I got a couple of early writing gigs when I was in New York without really looking for them. And then when I got out to L.A., I had a kid, and I was on the road a lot, and I just didn't want to be on the road a lot with a kid. I was missing a, a lot of the first year of his life. And so I reached out to a couple friends and like, hey, putting out feelers about getting getting hired on a show to write. Mm-hmm. And Louis C.K. was writing on a show called uh, Cedric the Entertainer Presents. Oh, sure. So he um, he told me to uh, put together some jokes for Cedric, which I did. He showed him Cedric. He liked him. Louis set up a meeting and I sat down with him and, and I got hired and I was the monologue writer for Cedric. And from there, I went from job to job to job for the last, you know, 12 years. Mm-hmm. And I've been able to split my time between stand-up and writing and then doing radio and podcasting. And uh, yeah, now I'm at the point where I'm, I'm, I'm show running, which I, uh, which I don't really like. I've gotten to the point where you, you – this is the Peter principle. You get elevated to the point where you're no longer enjoying or really that good at what you're doing. I'm a good writer. I don't, I don't like being the guy who's got to make sure that we've got a clearance to shoot on – you know, uh, this restaurant and that we've got a boom guy and, you know, do we get the notes from the network? Like, I, yeah, that's not what I came into the show business to do. Right, right. You like the creative side more yeah. than the decision right. administrative. Right. I get that, yeah. Um, actually, we uh, we play some games on the show. Just oh, like boy, you here tend to we do go. On yours. I'm hoping uh, these will live up to some of the stuff you do, maybe. Uh, we do a Would You Rather, okay. which is a fairly typical game. Uh, would you rather be able to read people's minds or be able to alter people's thoughts? Obviously alter people's thoughts because I think I can, I think if you're honest with yourself, you know what people are thinking already. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's amazing how much people delude themselves. You, you know, they, they've done studies that say that, um, people's reaction to you is, is that subconsciously you know what it is and that there's a level cognitively that you don't allow it okay you almost like give people more credit or less credit depending on your your sort of worldview sure but to be able to change people's thoughts is essentially what stand-up is you go on stage and i don't know what the fuck they're thinking but here's what you're gonna think interesting you know and i i don't i'm not not in the sense that I want you to believe that the death penalty is wrong right i just want you to think I'm not thinking of anything else except listening to this comic right now right, and laughing. Right. And I think that that's it's a con- that's why you find many comedians are real control freaks because that is what we're trying to do. And sometimes it is even a, a selling of a premise where you lay it out and right. you feel them back away, right. and then you go, "Well, no, I'm going to convince you." Exactly. You steamroll sure. over that. If you back off, then you're never going to be much of a comic. Right. Right. Yeah. You got to lay out your premise, and then if they push back, you push back harder. 
until they're just laying on their backs with their hands up going, I give, I which give, is, you're right. Which is the most like satisfying of. <laughs> right. Uh, okay, would you rather be a TSA agent for a day or be a Walmart employee during a Black Friday mob? I'd like the Black Friday option because I love chaos. Yeah. I'm the kind of person, if a bar fight breaks out, I'm getting as close as humanly possible, <laughs> and I may jump in. Yeah. Um, I've a video, I just had a thing. I was at the uh, Cleveland Hilarities Comedy Club, and uh, there had been a bachelorette party. Oh, God. <laughs> and now it was that sad part of the bachelorette party where, like, they're out front yeah, and you know their dresses are—they're pulling up their dresses over their tits because they're sliding off, and the shoes are in the hand, and the and the the bride to be is sitting on a curb. Yep. friends holding her hair back while she vomits, and I love that. So I pull out my cell phone and I'm videotaping <laughs> the bride vomiting, oh, and the maid of honor type chick, which I assume was the maid of honor because she was the fattest one, <laughs> she came running at me to turn off the camera, and then like four other, they all. Came came at me oh, wow. and it was so embarrassing because like there was a crowd of people that had just seen me do stand up and now they're seeing me have to back away like a jackal being attacked by lions sure or i guess more like a lion being attacked by jackals and and having to back up and and walk away <laughs> um and lastly would you rather be able to phase through walls or be able to turn invisible that's the stupidest question I've ever heard. <laughs> being invisible, I would say, no matter what you said, would you rather? Yeah. Being invisible wins. It really? trumps. Oh, I'm a voyeur. Oh, I okay. love being a voyeur. And not just like naked women, although that's obviously number one. Sure. But I just really, like I said, I enjoy being close to, I want to see, like when I watch porn, yep. I watch almost exclusively these things called casting couch porn. Okay. Were you know, familiar with sure. these? Yeah. Yeah. You have guys and they put ads in the paper that do you want to be <laughs> yeah. in porn and then they have sex with these women in the office because it's the only porn where you really can read a natural reaction of a woman to having sex with somebody for the first time. Are those real those or- are Here's why they're real. Okay. It is an unbroken single camera shot for 30 minutes straight. Interesting. There is not an actress in Hollywood that could portray <laughs> walking into a room, yeah. being a little bit nervous, but also seemingly trying to please, yeah. listening to instructions, hesitating at each level of like, stand up, take off your top, take off your butt. Really? Yeah, yeah, you have to take off your bottom. We have producers, and you say, okay, to, you know, blow me. To I mean, it, there is no way an actress, a, a porn star, yeah. could fake that. I am telling you with my hand on my heart, <laughs> this shit is real. So to be invisible and be able to uh, go into the ladies' room and hear the, the, the chit-chat that girls say to each mm -hmm. other, being able to see... Um, a, a married couple that's been together for 50 years. I want to sit and listen to them at a restaurant. What the fuck do you talk about right, after all right. those years? Um, so, I, yeah, I think that, that that really trumps everything. I would like to be invisible, and that will be an option soon. I think with all the hidden cameras... Um, you know, there's no, there's no reason why in my lifetime I won't be able to observe whatever I want whenever I want. I'm looking forward to that day. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be the NSA. Yeah. Speaking of watching, then in that case, uh, what, what do you watch TV wise, movie wise? Are you into anything right now? Or I, I, I get into like most people binge watching one hours mm -hmm. on cable. You know, whether it's Mad Men or uh, Breaking Bad. 
uh, homeland, boardwalk empire. Mm-hmm. And so we, I try to, I try to leave it until they're deep into like three, four, five seasons. That way, I can start like Game of Thrones. I haven't started because okay. I know that everyone says it's great. I haven't started uh, um, at Downtown Abbey, Downtown Abbey. I haven't yep, started that yep. yet. So I've got some lined up. Um, I'm just catching up on Louis now. I, I've skipped a few, so I'm on Netflix watching those. I'm doing an episode on Tuesday. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so uh, I'm trying to get the vibe of the show a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And um, and then like when I'm on the road, it's really good to define. I like something that's really edgy. When I'm alone in my hotel room, I really want to escape. Okay. So I, I watched the, the the Wire for a long time, all the episodes of The Wire. And um, yeah, so stuff that's gritty, documentaries about dark stuff. Mm-hmm. I watch a lot of MSNBC lockup late at night in my okay. hotel room because that's it's sort of a metaphor for what my life is when I'm on the road. <laughs> and, um, and Daily Show every night, Colbert Report every night, 60 Minutes every week. Um, that's probably, and this is going to sound crazy, but I also watch uh, live with uh, Kelly and Michael. Oh, yeah? I don't know why, because I think part of me really dreams of doing a daytime or morning talk show with a female co-host where you're just shooting the shit. What did you do last night? Yeah, you what were just talking about like? that with Allison Rosen. Right. I yeah, would yeah. love to do that kind of a show. Mm. So I kind of watch that, and she's just incredible. She is one of the great broadcasters of our day. Mm. He's not very strong, but she's amazing. Oh, yeah. Well, she's holding him up, so she oh, must totally. be fantastic. Right, so. right. Uh, do you ever get into, because you said you like to escape, but it seems like most of your interests are very reality-based. Right. Do you ever go into the fantasy, like you said, maybe Game of Thrones or sci-fi or anything yeah, see, like that? Yeah, see, that's the other reason why I haven't gotten into Game of Thrones. I don't, I don't. Uh, you know all this Dracula werewolf yeah. kind of shit. I don't. <laughs> I just don't buy it. It doesn't. It doesn't resonate with yeah. me. I like stuff that uh, and reality TV. I don't like because that's faker than scripted oh, TV. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know voyeur type shit. And I, I like. I like shows like uh, I. I listen to um, biographies on tape. Okay. You know I. I, I have Audible dot com and I listen to right now. Um, I'm listening to uh, this guide to boot camp for the marines interesting it's like a guy walking you through it uh, like a manual beat. no it's like a it's it's a it's a uh it's you know a journal of a bunch of guys going oh, okay. through um and then uh i just listened to the biography of steve jobs and before that it was uh um einstein and i i, I really get into uh, the details of people that have been um transformative in life, mm-hmm. it's a way of making me feel lazy and like I'm an underachiever. Yeah, <laughs> is there? Uh, I mean, you've talked about the daytime TV thing um, and some other jobs. Is there a dream job specifically that you would love to have? I've always wanted to be a late night talk show host. Yeah, you know, I talk about that daytime thing with another woman, but I think to be the alpha, to show up in the morning and uh, have an office. Take a look at jokes that the writers have been working on all morning. Start mm-hmm. weeding through, picking good ones. Get prepped on a guest. Um, maybe help help work on a script that's something that involves writing as well as then being able to step up, get in front of the camera, in front of an audience, and use all the skills that I've learned in 23 years as stand-up. Sure. Uh, I love interviewing guests. I don't know that I'm very strong at sketches, but just... To explore that format, see if there's a way to do it a little bit different, mm-hmm. and to make it a little bit more real, less formulaic, 
Um, I kind of like what Pete Holmes is doing with his show. Uh, yeah, his show's great. So um, that that is definitely the thing that I have been telling my managers and agents over the years that I want, but it's a tough gig, you mm-hmm. know? It's a very hard gig to get, and my hair has fallen out, and I've said to people, name me one host on TV that's bald. Yeah, that's a good Name point. one that's not at least six foot three, besides Jon Stewart, who sits down. Sure. You know, you look at Conan, Letterman... Uh, when Kilborn was on, Ferguson. Um, How tall is Kimmel? Kimmel's not that tall, but he's probably, you know, he's 5'11", I yeah. guess. Um, but so there's certain there's certain very superficial things that I think have held me back. I think I'm a little edgy. I don't think I'm warm on stage. <laughs> That's definitely held me back. Yeah. But with the internet, I think there's a, there is a chance. I mean, I think maybe I need to just do a video podcast it's structured like a late night talk show. Yeah, and that's see actually if that the way my traction. thought was going. I mean, is that a temptation to just because the landscape has changed so much within the last few years? Right. Even. I think the issue is that people people ingest my stuff through their ears, mm-hmm. and I think it's because of that. Their patterns for 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 the show are driving the car, working out, walking the dog. None of which you can do while looking at a video. Mm-hmm. So it's asking people to completely, um, you know, reinvent the way that they're going to uh, experience the show, and so that's that's tough. It probably makes sense. I'm spread in so many directions right now that I I I'm so overwhelmed. Like, yeah. I, I can go through periods where it's real quiet for two or three weeks, and then I'm suddenly writing on a show, and I'm doing stand up that weekend on the road, and then I'm still banging out two podcasts and a radio show, mm-hmm. and I got two kids. And, you know, you're trying to write tweets and you're trying to keep up with the email. And I just feel like I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. Right, right. So it's almost like I'm always protecting myself from those periods that come up three or four times a year where I am just in the weeds. Mm. And so the idea of doing something new would require me stopping something else. Sure. And it's hard because once you take a break from something, you can drop back in line. If I stop doing stand-up for three months, Mm -hmm. I got to fight to get back in where I was. Really? Yeah, even after all these years. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, you got I got to be out at the local clubs doing spots. I got to be on the road keeping my name out. Wow. Uh, doing doing press and, you know, it's it's a full-time job. And then with the podcast, I mean, I haven't I haven't taken a break once in 4 years. I mean, I've had weeks go by where I don't do two. Right, right. But that's rare. I don't think I think in the last 6 months I've I haven't missed Two a week. Well, the fact that you do two a week even is more than most. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's an undertaking. Yeah. If you were to do some sort of an internet TV show, would you want to do it yourself and have the full control or would you rather opt maybe like approach Chris Hardwick because he already has the established Nerdist channel and whatnot or something no, like that? No, I don't want to get in business with anybody else at this okay. point. You know, the stand-up is all me. The podcasting is all me. You know, uh, writing another book would definitely be all me putting out CDs. I mean, there's so many things that you can do and own mm-hmm. and not have uh, to, to split revenues or get it. Not that Chris Hardwick would, I mean, he's a great guy and yeah. uh, you know his Nerdist thing has done really well, but um, I find that working in, in any any other system is frustrating creatively and, and otherwise. And um, I think I, I can only get really excited creatively when I'm doing it for myself. Mm. Okay. Uh, well, I think that's we're about forty right now, so I don't want to take do up five more minutes. Too much. Oh, okay. All right. Let's um, do a speed round. Speed round topics. Just boom, boom, boom. No, whatever you want to do. <laughs> I could go lightning round. Uh, how about eggs? 
Here's the thing about eggs. You eat them, and yep. yet at the same time, you shoot sperm all over them, depending <laughs> on the egg. Now, if you really thought about it, you could take an ovary from a woman yep. and sell it to Japanese men as an aphrodisiac because it, it lists all the criteria for them needing to get an erection. Okay. You know, it's, it's small, <laughs> it's rare, it's, it's, it's related in some way to the process of, of sex. Um, Japanese men, I don't know what the fuck is going on because they're, they're normal men yeah. and they're surrounded by the hottest women in the world. Japanese women are so hot. They've got those cute little feet and uh, the, the pouty lips and yeah. they're very submissive. I mean, it's everything you look for in a woman. Why do you need to eat like rare elephant tusk or shark fin or piss from a lizard? Can't you just <laughs> fuck a Japanese woman unassisted? Now, do you, <laughs> in your dating history, have you uh, had the opportunity? Not once. No. It's really? killing me. I'm dead inside because I, when I grew up, I grew up around a lot of, um, you know, black, Latino, white, and I uh, dated all, all different types. But there weren't really Asian women where I grew up. Hmm. And as I got older, I started to see Asian women as the delicate, rare fruit, but I was already married. Sure. And so um, if I had one thing I could go back and change in life, I would say I would like to date an Asian woman. Yeah. Southeast Asian, perhaps like a, uh, a Viet Vietnamese or a Filipino. It'd have to be the right Filipino. Some of them have a lot of attitude. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, Thai, I feel like, has a stigma around it, and they're a little bit skinny. But um, Malaysian might be exciting. But just have that opportunity before I die to, um, you know, I think probably do another one hour special mm -hmm. and uh I, I see i could never cheat on my wife that's the problem and i'll never divorce her because she's the greatest thing that ever happened to me but should she die <laughs> there will be an asian woman mm, two months after that's a conservative amount of time yeah that sounds fair right <laughs> yeah absolutely right. <laughs> uh how about artificial christmas trees well, I mean, it's it makes sense to me that if you're gonna if you're gonna celebrate a holiday based on a make believe thing, <laughs> yeah. why should you kill a real tree? Right. Like I feel like such a hypocrite because here I am. I I don't believe in the whole Jesus thing. Yeah, yeah. And I believe that C Christmas is completely commercial and a waste. And meanwhile, I will go buy a living tree that's been killed. <laughs> and how do I get it home? On the on the roof of my Prius <laughs> for the ultimate hypocrisy. Right, right. Um, it's funny too. You made me aware of the uh, the water thing as we got started because I I brought Dasani here and uh, I was not aware of the fact that there are all these artificial. Well, I don't know if they're artificial ingredients, but extra additives inside right. of Dasani water. Let me Dasani read the ingredients water. on yeah. Dasani water. <laughs> You've got purified water, which means it's not from a spring. They're taking tap water and purifying it. Magnesium sulfate, which is a type of metal, right? With Sounds, yeah. Salt. Potassium chloride, that's a cleaner. And then salt. So basically three types of salt. And then it says with an asterisk, adds a negligible amount of sodium minerals added for taste, purified by reverse osmosis. What's what's reverse osmosis? That's new to me. Reverse osmosis, that sounds like a Japanese sex position. 
I feel like I brought you a swimming pool in a bottle, and I apologize for that. Yeah, no, it was nice, though. You got here, and I was thirsty, and you opened up your knapsack. You're like, I bought you a water, and it was cold. <laughs> Very nice touch. At this time in Boston, that's fairly easy to accomplish. Right. Um, as we are hitting our 45-minute mark, is there anything we can plug for you, put out there? Well, uh, you know, obviously, Fitzdog Radio, I'd love for people to check it out if you haven't and see if, you, see if it uh, turns you on. And if so, subscribe. Also, I got some tour dates coming up uh, in the new year. I'm going to be in uh, Minneapolis, Fort Lauderdale, San Francisco, Chicago, I think Denver, uh, San Diego, uh, somewhere on the East Coast. It's all at FitzDog.com. Check, okay. check all that. And follow me at Greg Fitz Show. Awesome. Thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate Oh, it's my thanks for this. following up. I know we tried to do it last time, and then some asshole bombed the city. <laughs> and uh, and so I'm glad we got a chance to do it. Good luck with the podcast. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Thanks. Beautiful. Many thanks again to Greg Fitzsimmons for being my guest this week. It really was a thrill to sit down and talk with him. Don't forget to visit fitstog.com for all of Greg's upcoming dates. Please head on over to thegeekgeneration.com to see everything that we do over there. If you use iTunes, please rate the show and write a review. We always appreciate those. You can like us at facebook.com slash thegeekgeneration. You can follow us at Geek Generation on Twitter and Pinterest. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at The Night Angel. You can send emails to podcast at thegeekgeneration.com. And as always, the show theme is provided by Machine Supremacy. A link to their site can also be found on our site. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week with more stuff for you. Later. Make it so.